Little Crimes on the Prairie is a Crooked Sea Ranch production. Welcome to Little Crimes on the Prairie. Today we're going to talk about the Victor Newberry affair. And this was featured in Dakota Spotlight's season one. You'd be surprised at small town America and the stories you might hear if you spend some time at a local watering hole. We know you're likely on your way to almost anywhere else. Our little hometowns with our single stoplights and noon special diners are rarely the desired destinations for travelers, except for maybe once a year, when any Midwest town worth driving to has its annual celebration. And where I'm from, we'll celebrate anything in the summer. We celebrate water towers, chislick, flowers, outlaws, quarries, literally anything. But we also have powwows all kinds of reunions, centennials, and sesquicentennials uh, for those fancier towns that were established before the statehood in South Dakota. The highlight of these small town celebrations is that people show up. Sons, daughters, cousins, and friends come home to visit. Because honestly, if we don't celebrate Jesse James, who will? Most of these celebrations are capped with a street dance. And if you've never attended one, I highly recommend it. Even if you don't like drinking and dancing on Main Street to a cover band playing Don't Stop Believing, I still 10 out of 10 would recommend going just to people watch or people listen. I have heard some of the wildest stories, probably starred in a few as well, at gatherings like these. You'll likely hear a story, and you'll be as confused as a fart in a fan factory. But not for long, because there's going to be a guy who won't say names, but he'll tell you all about the cover-up. Could be a murder. Could be a robbery. Could be a story about someone breaking into cars, stealing change. Maybe poachers. It doesn't have to be sensational. It just has to be unsolved. Or at least without a clearly defined sequence of events. It wasn't until I started listening to Dakota Spotlight this past spring that I discovered I wasn't alone. I wasn't the only one who refused to accept one of these conspiracy theories without a second thought. I wasn't the only one who was irritated hearing a whale of a tale with no facts. I wasn't alone in my search for some damn answers, and mostly I wasn't alone in my disappointment. The kind of disappointment you feel when society feels like sandpaper against the grain of your morality. Angry after you hear a story about a teenage girl found dead in the creek on the edge of a town you practically grew up in. Getting people to tell you her name or when it happened is like pulling teeth. Yet somehow, all of them knew with an alarming confidence who was responsible and why. It wasn't until I heard James tell the story of Victor Newberry that I finally felt like I wasn't the only one pissed off at all these people who seem to know it all, but have never thought to do anything other than gossip about it. This wasn't poachers or a change thief. This was a young lady who these people claim was murdered 
Why isn't anyone raising hell about this? Alas, across the prairie in Glen Allen, North Dakota, the story of Victor Newberry's death and the cover-up that followed was told to James. Unacceptable without facts, finally, someone set out to find some. And there I was, sick of hearing about COVID, sick of hearing about quid pro quo, conspiracies, cover-ups, collusion, but mostly I was sick of hearing about fake news. After I reached out to James, we sort of became friends, and, well, so I bugged him until he agreed to come on my show. I think what uh, sets apart as someone who, like, a lot of people like true crime, like consuming, watching, listening, reading books, but to produce true crime content, that's a little bit different, like what you and I are doing. I think it does take a certain kind of person to be like into true crime in in such a dedicated fashion, I think. Um, I don't know. I don't know if it starts as a kid. I've always been fascinated by not just true crime stories, but true stories altogether. Like I've never been like a science fiction nerd or anything like that. I, I, I mean, I like Harry Potter, but you know, I, I read Lord of the Rings. I'm not, you know, I'm not an animal, but I just, it's not my, my style. I don't, I don't find a whole lot of joy in, in make-believe stories. And and I don't know I uh, why that is. Is that something that sounds familiar to you or are you, are you just like a good story? It, no, it sounds very familiar to me. For some reason, you know, nonfiction, true stories are so much more interesting to me because Sometimes, you know, they're crazier than what you think you could write in a novel. You know, like you, you hear that all the time. Like if someone was to make the story up, no one would ever believe it. If you wrote a novel, they say that's not believable. Real life is often not hard, you know, believable. Um, and I don't know. Um, I, I'm definitely drawn to the, to the true stories. And I think what drives me as much as the crime factor, it's really the wanting to get an answer to things. In fact, you know, I, we're going to talk about season one. I had to go re-listen to my own season one yesterday to re, you know, familiarize it's myself. It's so good. With it. It's so and good. And I, I just realized, man, that I really, in some ways, didn't leave any stones unturned. And it was actually a nice, you know, I think that's what drives me. Like when I get, I want an answer to something, I n- sort of, need to find out or I have a strong desire to get answers to questions and I uh, have this weird I think maybe everyone thinks this about themselves but I have this weird innate ability I believe could be wrong to to know when people are bsing me or lying oh to not me. everyone has and that but certain people do and you know everyone likes to say they have it but you know right yeah right but I mean I'll say it's 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 a good quality to have, but it also gets me into trouble, like oh, yeah. in, in, like personal relationships or whatever, because I'm so literal sometimes. Like someone will maybe write something in an email and I will interpret it literally because I want the exact sort of answer to things. Oh, really? I, n- I never noticed that. Hmm. <laughs> and I'll maybe sometimes respond like, and they're like, no, I was just, you know, sometimes I feel like maybe 
socially, it's almost a handicap where I don't just, you know, sometimes people say things, with, they use an expression or a way that uh, literally it's not what they mean. And I seem to take it literally, like I want to rule out is or say, do you mean this literally? Like you can imagine it, it can be a little exhausting communicating with me. But if you say you haven't noticed it, that's good to hear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was only being a little sarcastic. It is a fine quality to have. I don't, I don't find a problem with it at all, really. Um, But I could see why you would think, you know, maybe feel awkward or whatever in social situations. But I am, um, I'm, I'm a little abrasive. I am definitely not everyone's cup of tea. And it took me a long time to be okay with that. Like, so I I get what you're saying. I do. You know, I just kind of had to keep doing my own thing and you know no, you're doing and it great was, i think and yeah and it's and, that kind of stuff though that you know kind of keeps you marching to the beat of your own drum so when someone tells you a story and you're like fucking prove it yeah <laughs> and they're like yeah. oh, oh what like oh yeah and then and, and nobody knows anything and then you're like well uh, i'm gonna fucking find some answers around here and they just are like uh, uh, you're gonna do what like mm-hmm. they don't, be- they don't believe that uh, you're capable of it. They don't, you know, it, these people are capable of it too. The sad thing is that they just won't, you know, that's a. Sounds um, like we're, we're getting right into season one of my podcast. It sounds like yeah, me. Yeah, that's what a little sort bit. Of- you know, was there, was there anything um, other than just your curiosity that drove you to document this um, deep dive into Victor's life and death? Absolutely. I mean, I was curious, but it was sort of what you were just referring to. I kind of wanted to prove a couple things to other people. I wanted to prove them wrong because the story I was told was, you know, so Victor Newberry, for the people who don't know this story, he was found dead next to his vehicle uh, on December 27th, 2014 in the morning. In a small town of Glen Ullen, North Dakota, in western North Dakota. His truck is running. He's deceased. He's just laying there in the snow on his back. And um, police dis- uh, determined that no foul play was involved, and he died from hypothermia. hyperthermia. And uh, I started hearing rumors. I, you know, It's about 15 miles away from where I live. Started hearing rumors from people that, oh, no, he was killed by these uh, mafia guys or something like that. I'm like, what? You know, what? Come on. If you live in a small town in the upper Midwest, these kind of stories just, I mean, they're all over the place. Like, you know, and, and you ask for, you know, well, what's your proof of that? Well, I heard it yeah. in the bar. Or, yeah. You know, and, but, and, then, and then I was told that, you know, it was like, and, and Victor was in a fight or an altercation the night before he died in the bar. I'm like, whoa, that sounds actually interesting. Is that true? Oh, yeah, that's true. So <laughs> I set out, I didn't believe that at all. And I set out to sort of prove, just prove that, prove them wrong. Because I kind of felt like, why are you guys, it's like I wanted to prove, I guess, or to, or demonstrate to people in the bar here in the town I live, like, what are you just sitting here on the bar stool telling these stories? Like, is this you know, productive in any way? Are we honoring his life in some way? Or if you really believe that, call the cops, you know? 
You've heard of Fargo and likely Bismarck, North Dakota, too. But just west of there lies a wide open and mostly peaceful rolling prairie, sprinkled with tiny communities, each one a rural hometown to less than 1,000 people. It was in one of those towns in September of 2016 that I heard an outlandish story. A man was murdered by organized crime, I was told, and local law enforcement didn't do a thing about it. But small towns are proven and self-proclaimed gossip factories where tall tales and rumors run wild and unchecked, just like the Buffalo did when adventurers like Lewis and Clark, General Custer, and Theodore Roosevelt explored this territory. To track and hunt down every untamed story that roams these plains might leave even the most experienced seeker exhausted and lost. But what possible harm could come from stalking just this one story, I asked myself one day. How hard could it be and how long could it really even take to refute this silly rumor and instead find out the truth of what really happened to the man who died? A day? A week, maybe? My name is James Wolner, and with Dakota Spotlight Season 1, I'd like to tell you about some of the surprises I discovered on what became a seven-month-long expedition through the unknown and unexpected territories of one man's perplexing death. Are you an investigator? Writer and podcaster. I don't know if you ever listen to podcasts. You know what? They should have a FBI on the You know, it's about time this happened. Morton County Sheriff Kyle Kirchmeyers ruled out foul play as a cause of death for 51-year-old Victor Newberry of Glen Ullen, found dead outside his vehicle on December 27th. Back when that thing happened, it seemed like it was kind of swept under the rug. Next know? thing you know, they found him dead laying out there, you know, so I don't know who did it or what did it or speculations. I'm not going to say no names or anything. So many of these things are, are kept so quiet and hush-hush. Not traumatic, but just the weirdest things that ever happened. Okay, that's all it was ever found out about. Law enforcement are trained to give you a loop around. For Victor that night to leave the bar without a coat or his phone. There's already been all this controversy around this case. I don't understand why he was even out there. Passed by so many times, I never even think about it. It's a small little road. It was just very, very unlike Victor. It was so out of character to be out there. I mean, for lack of better words, you know, When you live in a small town, everybody knows pretty much everything. I would like to know who those people were in the game in that bar that night. The number you dialed is not in service. The number you dialed has been changed, disconnected, or is no longer in forwarded to an automated voice messaging system. Everybody in town wants to know what happened. The 1406 still be upstairs too, right? Yeah, I'd go upstairs, man. I bet. And I said, just get out of my face, get out of my face right now. In so many words, in their drunken state, yeah, they would always say, you're a dead man, and shit like that. Only four people know, and two are not people. You knew, he knew, God knew, and the damn devil. Join me for Dakota Spotlight Season 1. Subscribe today on Spotify, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information, visit dakotaspotlight.com. I get really mad um, when people don't do anything. Like, so, what is wrong with you people? Ooh, ooh. Exactly. I, I cannot, if there's something I can't stand, it is a do-nothing person. Like, if there is some shit going down and, that, and there's one mm -hmm. person standing there like, I don't know. 
no, no, I, I can't, I can't right. deal with that exactly. sort of, that sort of shit. Just like fake news. Um, that, that bugs the shit out of me too. Yep. Like, well, that's very interesting that you say that, you know, at, well, I'll go back to what I was saying. So I wanted to prove that they were wrong because I th- figured they were and, you know, you shouldn't be just spreading rumors. Yeah. And um, I wanted to demonstrate to them, you know, because I said, oh, I'll just, why don't you call the cops? You know, and they're like, oh, they'll never tell us anything. Cops, you know, so I was like, okay, I'll show you how it's done. <laughs> exactly. Like, uh, like nobody knows how to use Google all of a sudden. What the hell? <laughs> yeah. And so, but then, you know, we don't want to spoil it for your listeners who, uh, who haven't heard season one too much, but then it got very interesting very quickly. And it turned out that these, you know, these r- stories I was hearing in the bar, they weren't completely unfounded. Like there was a reason no, I don't want to spoil too much, but it got very interesting right. very quickly. And, um, and then, and then at the time, all this, you know, it's, it's very interesting because with this fake news and everything at the time I wanted, well, like I just said, so, you know, I, I want to demonstrate that you don't just have to sit here on a bar stool. You can literally, you know, call the cops yourself, ask questions, look for open records, Google, you know, but as it turns out, fast forward to today, I realize people are even, uh, lazier than we thought, right? It's not that they won't get off a bar stool. They'll read one meme on Facebook or some kind of quote unquote news and won't even take the extra, what, four seconds to look into the source, you know, like, oh, you know, so it's much worse. And here's the one thing from Dakota Spotlight's season one that I wanted to say that I just couldn't put into words. Here's a clip. I started to think about this man named Victor Newberry. I wondered if he had a family, loved ones. How would they feel if they knew that someone like Phil was walking around making these claims, telling stories and captivating audiences with his tales of Victor? I realized that there were two things that bugged me about it all. First of all, most likely Victor was not a victim of foul play, in which case it felt, I don't know, disrespectful somehow to be spreading this cheap rumor around. And secondly, if Victor really was killed, and if everyone knew about it, as Phil claimed, then in that case, it was even more absurd for people to be just talking about it on a bar stool and not doing anything about it. I admit that at the time, I didn't really know exactly what a person would do or could do. I only knew that it did not sound right or feel right to do nothing. These two concerns began to occupy my mind more and more, and in a way it was a good thing too because my mind was trying to not think about some other things at the time. Which brings us to what I now realize was the final straw, or perhaps the true catalyst that propelled me into this story about Victor Newberry. This final straw was a product of the times we live in, the zeitgeist of now. We all know that the United States has become divided on many issues, but there's a new trend of disagreement happening that confuses and concerns me more than any other issue. This is the concept of truth versus fake news versus personal interpretations of facts. By the time I heard people saying things like, your facts are not my facts, I tuned out. I had to. I turned off the news, turned off my TV, and I began to back out of the room. 
Because to live in a world where there are no accepted facts anymore, where actual facts can be brushed aside and disregarded at the mercy of mere opinions, denounced as lies or false or fake, no matter how much proof is provided, that is not a world I want to see or live in, or at least it's not a world I'm able to navigate. So, instead of living in it, I excused myself from the American table for a while, and I decided I would dine alone from now on. It was in this void that Victor's death invaded my thoughts. I realized I wanted to know exactly what happened to him, and I hoped focusing on that might help me forget these other things. But of course, it all backfired in the most fantastic and meaningful manner. I understood immediately that to paint the true story about Victor Newberry's life and death, I would need a palette covered in facts. But then I was back at the beginning again, because if my facts are not your facts, or Phil's facts, or the Sheriff Department's facts, then what does any of this mean anymore? How can we ever arrive at a truth? And it was right here that I knew I wasn't alone, and it was such a fitting description of the way I was feeling, and it's still so relevant even four years later. It was a feeling I couldn't really describe, so so when I heard this... It all felt so familiar, and I knew I wasn't alone, and I knew I was doing the right thing looking into Deb's case, which is what started this podcast. Been fun to follow you. You're you're getting so much better. I mean, I shouldn't put it that way. I I think it's like a progression almost. Like, you know, I hope like new podcasters, if they listen to it, well, if they can bear to listen to some of it, um, I, I think they'll feel a little bit more confident in just going for it. And, you know, that's kind of what sets us apart from radio. We're, we're not DJs. We're not in a radio station. We're real people. And we're doing something that we enjoy. And we're trying to, you know, uh, talk about something that, that yeah. matters. No, I agree. And um, I admire your approach. Like you just really dove in and like you noted, you had some audio challenges in the beginning, but it didn't keep you from like, you know, marching forward and you just keep getting better and better. So um, kudos to you. I mean, that I kind of, I don't know if I'm envious, but I like that you just dove in like that and said, I'm doing this. (laughs) It was awesome. Yeah, you'll get to know that that's just a hallmark of my personality. I'm just kind of like, hey, we're going to do some we're going to do a thing like, yeah, (laughs) I've I've always kind of been a fly by the seat of my pants kind of gal. And Mm -hmm. sometimes it gets me in trouble, but well, it's it's been good recently, so I'll keep it. You have to sort of be a pain once in a while, be a pain in like law enforcement's side. Right. And, uh, and a lot of people don't feel comfortable doing that. And a lot of law enforcement are not, at least around here, they're not used to being questioned too much, you know, uh. no. but it's not as in my experience, you know, if you're just respectful, you know, and you're just asking for things that you have a right to as a, you know, resident, in my case, a resident of North Dakota, I'm just asking for an open record. They, they, they might not be used to it, but if you're respectful and a little bit patient, I've discovered, um, it's not that bad. I mean, they don't, I mean, the law is on 
my side. It's an open, if it's an open record. Yeah. So see anywhere, unless it's a closed case and those are, you know, public records and even some public records, they don't, um, you know, uh, they don't disclose or whatever. Mm-hmm. They redact some of that stuff. And I'm just going to say it, you know, the Deb Vallejo case. Um, I was, when I heard your first episode in season one, I don't even think I was finished with that episode before I was emailing you. And, and I remembered thinking, don't sound like a psycho stalker, weirdo murder lover. <laughs> like, you know, I, I, I did, I had a fangirl moment when I listened to the way you explained, you know, how you were at a f- festival and that's where, mm-hmm. you know, I was at the Dutch festival in Edgerton, Minnesota, when I heard about Debbie Vallejo, although I never heard about her specifically because nobody would say her name. Nobody knew exactly when she was found dead in the Creek. That's all they would say is that she was murdered and found dead in the Creek. And, you uh-huh. know, I, it bothered me for so long. Cause I was about 13 when I, when I first really heard that I'd heard that a girl died there. I, I always assumed she drowned as, you know, as a young kid, I was, that's just, you know, your first thought, but yeah, it, um, it, but it, it made me really angry and nobody would answer any questions. And even now law enforcement won't answer any questions. As a matter of fact, um, Deb's family hired a private investigator and, from the way it sounds, um, he was kind of shut down by them as well, you know, and it's frustrating because, you know, I started this story. I didn't know Deb's family. Mm -hmm. Of course I intended on reaching out to them. I didn't know how that was going to go. I didn't know every single person I talked to told me that I shouldn't even waste my time trying to get a hold of them because they would never talk to me. They, they would never talk to anybody about it. And right. They made it sound like they just were like, Nope, Nope, Nope. They were mean people. And I was like, wow. Okay. And they actually ended up contacting me. Um, and I was, I was terrified. Oh, I was, I was like, I was so nervous when I went to go meet them. And it turns out they're the sweetest, nicest people. They have no problem right. talking about anything. And, you know, yeah, I was, I, I'm goddamn mad about it. And that's kind of what got me going on. That's yeah, awesome. I, I, but I imagine the same for you too, you know, I. Absolutely. I mean, there were so many things going on and thank you. I mean, that's awesome to hear that my first episode, whatever, um, you know, in, incited you to reach out to me or whatever. Uh, there were so many things going on, like I said, with the, between fake news and these rumors going around. And <clears throat> I felt like I needed something to just sort of focus on besides politics and, and you know, uh, social media and all that stuff. So I just dove into that one thing. What happened to Victor Newberry? And I put all my efforts into that. And um, it, it was almost like a self-preservation type of thing, like because that. 
that was that was when people were starting to say things like your facts are not my facts. Well, I'll tell you right now, if that's yes. the world where you're going to live in, we're all sorry. Excuse my French. We're all fucked. If facts are no longer going to mean then well, yeah. we're, we're doomed. We are. And uh, your information yeah. like you can't you can't you nobody is getting correct information. Right. Then. You know, everyone just thinks they are. Maybe that maybe that really is just the way life is you know people just think they know shit and they well, don't we've learned because yeah. i mean that's happened to me quite a few times so i'm just saying yeah. <laughs> but i mm-hmm. needed to talk about it and and i needed to know if nothing else i needed to know her name that is what made me so mad sure is that nobody would even like tell me who she was yeah and I would Google it occasionally. And there is... That is a frustrating thing. What year did this happen? In 79. Right. 1979. You know, it's it's funny. We're like doing parallel investigations, but like years apart. It's like, it's like you did one, I did one, then you're doing one. I'll probably do another one. You know, it, it's, it's kind of it's cool. But, you know, it also was very comforting for, for me. I, I was like, yay, I don't feel uh, like I'm a crazy person now. <laughs> yay. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, it for a while, I thought I was kind of losing it. Really? I did a little bit. Wow. I, I was like, I don't know why I can't stop thinking about this. Like, no, uh, why can't I just move on with my life like everybody else? And well, that's not really the side of the murder mystery you want to be on. Right. Which, you know, in my season four now, it's a 1978 case. And same thing there. This guy, Billy Wolf, um, he was found dead, murdered in the river outside of Fargo. And he had been, his body had been cut in half and put in plastic bags. Uh, yikes. Not that it matters which way you get sliced and diced, but in half and put in garbage bags, that fucks me all the way up. When I listened to your latest episode, which um, was really good. So... Uh, and you guys were talking about the Zodiac and I haven't been following that. I mean, I did see something about that code being broken. I don't know anything about that. But when you guys started talking about Zodiac, it took me back to my childhood because, you know, um, I grew up in Northern California and I was actually born in Santa Rosa where one of the suspects, a few in the Zodiac case lived for a while. And um, so my memory of the Zodiac, like the first time I heard anything about the Zodiac, I was on the playground at Healdsburg Elementary School. So it would have been 74, 75 or 76, somewhere in there. And some kids, you know, you're out there playing whatever, four square basketball. <laughs> some kid, I don't remember who it was. Like, hey, you hear about the Zodiac? I want to say it was an older kid. So I was probably in fifth grade or something. And uh, I'm like, what's the Zodiac? You know, and at that time, the rumor going around was that the Zodiac, the Z thing was, and this was just a a rumor early on, you know, he was operating in a Z formation. He was killing someone and then he was moving, you know, whatever, west and killing someone and then moving in the shape of the letter Z or something. Oh, yeah. That's That's my first memory of it. But Northern, where I grew up, I mean... I mean, that, it was a freaky time just in general in the 70s. I mean, where I grew up, it was, and I lived uh, in Sonoma County in California and not far from where we lived when I, when I was a kid, there is actually uh, a series of murders, which I've thought myself would be an interesting thing to do for a, a podcast series, but I'm working in the Midwest now, but they're called the Santa Rosa Hitchhiker Murders. 
And several women, it's like seven, eight women murdered in the early 70s. And their bodies were dumped. I mean, literally, okay, maybe it was 15, 20 miles from our house. But my sisters and I have always speculated that whoever dumped those bodies must have driven right by our house. I mean, like, just the creepiness of it, you know, when you're, for all of us who... Yeah, 15 miles away? <laughs> yeah. I don't care. That's yeah. too fucking close for yeah. me. Yeah. And, no. uh I hate all of that. <laughs> Gross. And the, uh, I just got chills. Yeah. And the first two that got killed, it's even creepier. Um, you probably, a lot of people know the uh, Peanuts, Charlie Brown uh, cartoons or whatever they're called. Oh, yeah. You know? So Charles Schultz, who yeah. wrote that series... He lived in Santa Rosa. He grew up. Oh yeah, he was from St. Paul. Yeah, he grew up in Minnesota. That's why they have all that ice skating and stuff. And it's yeah, you know, yeah. he was into ice skating a lot or hockey. Yeah. So he moves to Santa Rosa, where, um, you know, near where I lived, and because he liked, you know, he made quite a bit of money with peanuts, and uh, because he liked ice skating so much, he built the I think it was called the Redwood Empire Skating Rink or something. He built. Oh yeah, he, he built an I, ice skating. Rink. I remember hearing something about that place. Yeah, that's probably you've probably heard about these murders then, because uh, so he, you know, just because he liked skating and he opened it up to the public. I think you had to pay. You know, it wasn't like free or anything. But if you wanted to learn ice skating when I was growing up, there's only one place to go, and that was the Santa Rosa Redwood Empire Skating Rink. And the reason I bring it up is because the first two victims <clears throat> that they're aware of of this uh, Santa Rosa hitchhiker murders were two girls. They were like seventh or eighth grade. I know they went to Rinkin, Rinkin Valley Junior High School. I remember that. Not not my school. And they just disappeared, man. They just were gone. And I don't remember I don't remember if those were the girls found near where I grew up or not. But it was just a creepy time. I mean, and the, the Zodiac killer for a while was suspected of maybe having committed those murders as well. And that whole story, actually, the Santa Rosa hitchhiker murders, it's just waiting for someone to do a deep dive series, you know, a true crime podcast. Um, I'd love to do it myself, but I'm far, far away from there now. But uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's same. just, yeah, it's uh, so, yeah, I mean, I grew up around a lot of that stuff. And I mean, there was other stuff going on where I, you know, Northern California, where I grew up, the whole, um, Jim Jones. I feel like there was a lot of serial murderers, killers, and whatnot in the 70s. Like, I, yep, yep. like every single time I look at an interesting case, it's like, oh, yeah, it's 1974. Yep. Like, of course it is. <laughs> exactly. I think my parents actually, I've asked them later, like, how did we not, you know, if they, I'm sure they read this stuff in the paper, but they weren't telling our, their kids about it. I'll tell you that you had to hear it on the playground and, you know, really just down the road. That's, and there's a lot of other stuff in the seventies that wasn't serial killer, but it's just weirdness. Like, uh, Patricia. Well, yeah. Like the golden state killer. Yeah. Um, he was over there raising all sorts of hell and he finally got caught because like some lady Patton Oswald's wife was just like, Hey, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, here's a true story. My dad um, read the book when we were still living in California, you know, and there's a section in the book where one of the suspects, it says in the book, was running a um, like an army surplus store. I, I can I know exactly where it is in Santa Rosa or was. And, um, I you know, I'd been in that store at some point. And uh, I know my dad, after reading that book, he went, drove over there 
you know, you just get so sort of obsessed with this true crime stuff. And um, I think he said he, he never even went in because it was just so creepy to know that the guy running the store or owning it, the owner maybe was potentially uh, one of the, the Zodiac killer. <laughs> so I, I saw a really funny meme about how there's probably an old man in a nursing home grumbling about how they solved his cipher. And then there's some nurse <laughs> escorting him back to his room, telling him to calm down and she'll bring him some pudding later. You know? <laughs> yeah. Speaking of old men in retirement homes and all that, can you imagine with this new wave of DNA technology? I mean, I get, I, I um, have a Google alert set up for cold case, the word cold case. And every day I get, every day I get a Google alert with, uh, I mean, multiple cold cases solved pretty much every day now because of the new DNA technology and all these DNA databases, right? So I got to imagine there's a lot of people who thought they got away with murder. You know, they, they killed someone in the seventies and they, uh, they were scared shitless for a couple decades and they're like, huh, seems like I'm going to get away with it. And now I'm, I'm just thinking now there's just people just, you know, shitting bricks. Just, oh my God, they're going to knock on my door any day now. Kind of <laughs> makes me giggle. So I, I, I appreciate it a lot. Is it all right if I uh, share a little story I just learned yesterday of something my yeah. daughter was involved in? She lives in Europe. And I read, she actually posted this on Facebook. That's how I found out about it. Then I reached out to her, but she's uh, 27 and um, she was coming home, leaving work. She works in retail, comes out to the parking lot to get on a bus and witnesses across the street, probably at the bus stop going the opposite direction, a man hitting a woman in the face with like a closed fist which is illegal oh. um, in Sweden. You know, you're not allowed to hit people, <laughs> not, not to mention the moral yeah. part of it. And there were other shoppers or anything yeah. after Christmas. So a lot of people at both bus stops um, with their returning packages and stuff. And she just really proud of her. She marched across the street, confronted this man who just happened to be, um, I don't like from, from, she thought he was from, Afghanistan or something from somewhere in the Middle East. And um, she says, she confronts this guy. She said, you know, what are you doing? You're assaulting this woman. What do you think? How do you sleep at night? And the guy barks back at her something that really didn't make much sense. Like she was, she was assaulting him or something. But, and then he says, um. I'm not, this is not an assault. This is my wife. And then, <laughs> you know, no one else on these two bus stops, no one else is, you know, doing anything except my daughter. And she says, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of people at this point would, you know, I thought the story was going to be, she went home and was really <laughs> pissed off, but she took her cell phone out, called the cops and refused to let the bus leave until the cops got there. So all these, <laughs> you know, and the cops came and nice. of course the woman didn't want to press charges on her husband. And um, so my daughter ends up going home and as her Facebook post was that she was sitting at home that night, kind of mad at the man who hit, was hitting his wife, but infuriated at all the other people who just turned their backs and didn't help her and step up, you know. So that, for whatever reason, Aww. some people 
You yeah, raised good yeah, humans. Yeah. <laughs> Did something right. But, uh, <laughs> yay. But, you know, I don't know what the difference is there where, you know, some people will turn their back in that situation, not want to get involved. Yeah. And others, like I, I know my daughter would not. Yeah. Her greatest fear, you know, I'm sure she was a little scared, but I'm certain that her greatest fear in that situation wasn't the guy hitting her or, you know, or, or no. anything. Her greatest fear was that she'd wake up the next morning and realize she hadn't done anything that would, that would have hurt her more than anything, yeah. you know? So she's awesome. Yep. So, yeah, I, I agree. I've always been that way too. I used to bartend a lot and well, and I used to go to the bar a lot. And I've, I've been in quite a few sure. just flat out scraps with, with more guys probably than I ever have fought with other women. Um, and it's and it's just because they, you know, think that they can put hands on people yep. and talk nasty yeah. and yeah, I don't I don't allow that shit. Yeah. No, I don't care who you are and I I don't have to I don't have to right. take this. And yeah, usually hmm. yeah. I think I've, you're well. Yeah. Very I was, well. <laughs> I was pretty notorious back in the day, but yeah, I would have kicked that dude's ass too. Yeah, that's, for your daughter. That's awesome. So, but if you're that's if you're stuff. hardwired that way too, you're, it sounds like you're all set for, to make some awesome true crime podcasts. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll <laughs> see. <laughs> well, yeah, I, you know, I don't know. I like telling stories and yeah. I got a lot of them. So, I mean, cool. I've, I've, I have a lot of life experience, I guess we'll, we'll call it that. Yeah. Let's call it that. But, um, well, thanks for being on my podcast Maybe we'll come and bug you on your no, podcast someday. No, it's been really fun. I've not done this before. And like I s said earlier, uh, I don't even have to edit it. You have to do all the work. <laughs> Looking forward to listening to your uh, next episodes and um, sharing your podcast with my audience. Well, thanks a lot, James. Bye. Once again, music by Shantara Bird. Thanks again to our guest, James Wolner from Dakota Spotlight Podcast. And this has been a Suecast Original. <laughs>